Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free lifestyle to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. The 80s Rewind Show Podcast. It's time time. to bring you yet another amazing episode. And now, welcome your host, the face for radio virgins. Enjoy the show. Hello, hello. It's the 80s Rewind Show Podcast with me, Rob, the face of Radio Burgess. Uh, welcome along to today's episode. I've got an absolute belter for you. Um, before we go on, um, if you can, if you can like and subscribe for me, that'd be great, whichever platform you've got, and give it a cheeky share. Or just tell your friends about the podcast. That'd be amazing. I'd really, really appreciate that, and I'd owe you a cup of tea. So I finally got my finger out and I've sorted out all my media. So if you want to contact me, if you've got a suggestion for a guest or you just want to say hi or you want to give me some suggestions about anything or just want to say hello, uh, you can get me at the80srewindshow at gmail.com. That's the80srewindshow at gmail.com. And I'm sure whichever platform you want, there'll be a clickable link to the email. Don't be afraid to say hi. I love talking to people and I'd love to talk to you as well. Right, today's guest, absolute belter for you. Uh, Nick Haywood from Haircut 100. I had a lovely chat with Nick. And we were discussing the uh, the name Haircut 100, what it means and where it comes from. Uh, we was also discussing the album Pelican West and the pressures that came with Nick writing pretty much a lot of that. What's nice as well, we got to speak about, um, you know, just generally music and what the influence of music meant to us as young kids uh, and the power of music. We spoke a bit about that as well. Anyway, I'm not going to waffle too long because we want to get to the interview. Don't forget, like and subscribe if you can and tell all your friends about it. That'd be absolutely amazing. And if you want to get me, it's the 83 show at gmail.com. And one more time, because you need to grab a pen, the Age Rewind Show at gmail.com. Anyway, Nick Haywood, let's get to it. So, um, music, where did it first come into your life? Uh, music was just always around the house, you know, just like frying pans were. And uh, letterboxes, very important. It's been, letterboxes have been very, very important in, in my life <laughs> because uh, my first port of call uh, with, with the outside world and the TV was outside of my letterbox. I could see Bunty from Howe that lived, lived across the road. You know, and so it was like, she was on the telly, but she was also, you know, out of the letterbox. Because um, I, I wouldn't, like, just stand in front of the house. I would always peek out of the letterbox. <laughs> and, uh, and after a while, I got, I got to, um, she gave me a lift to school um, in her old, like, car that was like an old Lancaster and uh, she was very kind of, come on, come on, children, get in the car. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know what she was doing living on this, this, this where it was, because this was like a little modern housing estate, you know. But, you know, Bunty from House did live, in, you know, this not such great area, you know, across the road from the station. It was weird. But, uh, yeah, so music and, uh, and kind of the TV and stuff was... Very close, very close by. Tony Hatch used to live up the road as well. I don't know why people from music and the TV lived around the area, but, you know, we, we everybody in Beckenham just had this beacon of David Bowie. You know, it was like David Bowie was the shining light over everybody. You know, it's like he was he was a god in the area. You know, David Bowie, he lives in the area. He lives, you know, everybody's trying to find out where he lives. Um, and we, you know, we, we thought we did and we, you know, it was just... Any house that looked weird, you know, it's like, that's, 
<laughs> that's his house. That's his house. <laughs> Funny if in my town, Bob Geldof lives here and we do the same thing. We go, that must be Bob's house. <laughs> yeah. And then a week later, like, that must be Bob's house. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's celebrity house spotting. Like. <laughs> yeah. And some sometimes they are what you think they are. They're enormous. But other times, like myself, it's like, oh, the, he lives in the shoebox down the other road. Look at that. I never thought of that. That's a strange one. You know, so this was Bunty from Howe was a, you know, in a, in a shoebox across the road. Wow. And then there was a lot of music yeah. around the house, you were saying, jazz. Yeah. Uh, jazz, big bands. Dad's especially into, into that. And mum was more into the carpenters, but dad, dad just loved jazz. And, uh, you know, he took me to see, um, I don't know why he took me. Um, yeah, it's, it's strange. And maybe, maybe my brother wasn't around or something or. But I remember just we just went to see Count Basie, Ray Charles, and Oscar Peterson, and we were with the last two tickets. I think we were right at the back, but it was just just amazing to be in contact with with those guys. But I just took it as this is this is music, you know. This is what it this is what it sounds like. It sounds otherworldly, really, really complicated. And how on earth would you ever consider doing this? So it was just not what I considered doing because it just looked. Yeah, you'd sit in front of a piano and you'd look at it and go, you know, it's too it's complicated. I remember finding a double bass in uh, my auntie's loft and uh, and just kind of staring at it and, you know, going for hours. And I just thought, how do you get anything out of this? How does music appear out of this? You know, because you'd go and see, you'd hear dad's music and it was just... You know, and you, I was just staring at this double bass, and uh, and I still love the double bass. I just love everything about it. The sound of it is, you know, when I first heard the, the double bass in classical music on Gustav Mahler's Fifth Symphony, the Dagio for strings, you know, Death in Venice, and it's just when it, it it's this kind of overlapping kind of. It sounds like gentle tide. You know, and it's just the way the strings come in, but then the bass comes in, double bass. It just <laughs> just moves. And you, uh, yeah. yeah, and I've I've been trying to make music that has moments like that. In you know, I, I didn't know how to create it. You know, you get a band together, and that's not going to happen. You know, you don't you can't get that going. But the more you learn about music, the, the more you can now even sit at home as as I do. You've just got all this stuff, and so you. So I'm creating those moments, you know, even just for, you know, for my personal files, you know, just loads of double bass going, <laughs> and strings, you know, oh, got loads of string things and stuff. You go, they're like, oh, he's at his bass again. Leave him alone. Yeah, <laughs> he's in his room. Leave him. Yeah, I'm really. I could really be happy just, you know, in a loft, <laughs> listening to bass, double bass, all day. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, where did guitar come in for you? Was it was it just an easy instrument to pick up? Was it an, an instrument that was around for you? Mm, uh, well, my biggest influence was next door in my brother's room because he had he was a guitarist. Um, I was the organist of the yes. Uh, that was my first instrument, uh, a little red organ uh, that only had a, like seven notes. It was like a mini mood, but it was red. Uh, but it sounded awful. I mean, I'd literally sit there and go, you know, it, it didn't, it, it wasn't inspiring, but I thought, well, I can't be a guitarist. My brother's a guitarist. Um, 
I'll be the organist. See, I was thinking like a band even then. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, I've always wanted to start bands, to be honest. <laughs> and, uh, but it, it was, uh, Pete taught me D, D major, and I was off after that. It was like, ah, then then C came and then G and then Fantastic Day. That was it. I was off. And uh, and I couldn't learn songs well, I, I remember. So I was just went straight into making up my own. Right from the off, that was it. So you started writing, writing from an early age, pretty much. Yeah, because I just started making up stuff because I, I just it was always the way. I, I even with art, I just thought, okay, I'll. I just started drawing, but I didn't, you know, I didn't have any training. But you just thought, oh, I can, you know. I saw Dad doodling. He 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 did a good Superman, Dad, and uh, so I, I was like, oh, that's good. Right, and then I just learned to do that. So I just had a sort of a fist of Superman, you know, um, and that's all I could draw for for years probably. <laughs> <laughs> but I drew it really well. Um, and then same with music. I just got D together, a D, C, and G, and and um, but Fantastic Day actually didn't come straight away. It, it came when I le- I, w- I learned to play and sing at the same time. That's when that came. So that was that thing of I've got to sing something now. You know, because at first I was just into making up guitar melodies. You know, I would have probably just, if I'd have found a singer, I would have been like Johnny Marr, probably just making up little musical ideas. You've got an amazing style. It reminds me of um, Lyle Roger from Chic. It's like chicken scratch, he calls it. You've kind of really? got that sort of chuck, chucking, chunking kind of playing, if you see, like a rhythmic playing. And uh, it's an unusual style for, you know, it just, it seemed to have come out of the 70s as as a style. But I noticed when I was listening to um, the albums, like you've got that sort of style. And I love that style. It drives it like the drums would. Well, it's a a lovely style to to have picked up because, you know, um, well, the the first time in a similar way, I was listening to Johnny Marr talk about this. And uh, because his was Hamilton Bahamond, Disco Stomp. And that was my, the same record that I heard, first heard that guitar and thought, what is that? What is that? What's that rhythm? Hypnotic rhythm. Uh, and I remember playing it on the B side of Favourite Shirts to a song called Boat Party, where it's just got this... Everybody do the disco stump. You know that song? Just lovely. And I remember when I first heard that in a club, it just... It was Azalea Hall. Uh, in Beckenham, I was just kind of, wow. The whole place, the bass as well, it was just, it was moving like this to this brilliant song. And when you, when you see people dancing, it does something to the music forever. I, I feel like, like I will always associate that, that song with, with Haltonics, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and budgie jackets and round toed shoes, <laughs> you know, all standing in line, all dancing together. You know, just in unison, there was, there was a, a moment that's just there, an imprint. And uh, I think that's what music does. It really, it it, it it makes an imprint, you know, like like Count Basie did that, that moment. Like like later when Punk came out, you know, XTC, the, the Greyhound in, in Croydon when they, you know, played Neon Shuffle. It was a moment, you know, when the jam came on stage the electricity that they, they first had, uh, you know, it's, they're, they're moments that just kind of, they're there. 
Strong imprints. When everybody gets in sync in the same room as well, it's a really unusual thing. I mean, nowhere, nowhere, nowhere on your scale have I ever witnessed it, but I used to DJ in a club for a while. And I remember one day I was playing a, a house track that was very popular. So like you do as a DJ, I said, make some noise, you know. And I remember the whole yeah. room screamed at the same time. There was, I think there was 700 in, or something like that, six, 700. Oh, that's great. And, but I remember that, that feeling of the sound moving at me and it terrified me for a split second. I was just like, oh, I don't like this. You know what I mean? And then, and then all of a sudden I was like, no, this yeah, is awesome. yeah. Well, same with like a wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it don't mess, you know, with nature, but, you know, I don't know if you've ever been devoured by a wave. Yeah, I just said, yeah. Yeah, you know, it, when it takes you, you just got to go with it. There's there's no fighting against the yeah, it's, nature. It's just crazy. You just know? like that that volume and all the air moving at me. And I was just like... Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's power, isn't it? it? it it's it, really powerful. And it was, it was really frightening. And... um yeah, know, but yeah, it's just exactly that. Just I've, 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 yeah, I've been there. That that when you're at a gig or when you're doing something and someone, everyone just locks at that one split second, and it's just yeah, it's incredible. And you could lift cars with that. I swear to God, if you lifted a car yeah. at the same time, you would throw it in the air. It's it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, super Superman. You're right. Yeah, exactly. Again, yeah, <laughs> but you're right. It's um, it does make an imprint on you, and you don't forget music. You know, I don't, I remember my first gig still to this day. You know, it was um, Spinal Tap at the Royal Albert Hall. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. <laughs> 1992. Yeah, and it was not only that's amazing; a- they played brilliantly as well. So yeah, that's he's they're, they're brilliant musicians, aren't they? And and um, Derek Smalls is is like a brilliant. All of them are just uh, you know. I know it's I know it's a you know parody and stuff and the satire, but they're actually really brilliant musicians too. Yeah, I was standing in front of um, Christopher Guest, like Nigel Tufnell. He was literally like two seats away as well, so I could see him playing the guitar. Like, and his note dexterity is amazing. He's an amazing player, and um, that was the, he's, he's the real muso in the band, isn't 100%. he? Hundred percent. And they were just they were really funny. The band sounded amazing. They had uh, Albert Lee guesting on guitar as well. So, you know, I remember I can remember the smell of the seats at this this much yeah, this, this much, much tell them. <laughs> see, yeah. Albert Lee. <laughs> <laughs> if he's lucky <laughs> but yeah so spinal so i know what you mean yeah once you see the first one it's amazing and then so guitar wise um is it gretch you used to play a lot of um well my first was a telecaster because i was so into quo um i was into early quo like you know down down and caroline and all the all the like basic rock because i was really into basic rock like quo montrose um I wasn't into Led Zeppelin, funny enough. I wasn't into sort of avant-garde rock. I was into just real basic rock. There was something I really liked about it. You know, when Down Down kicks in, you know, you've got this very simple riff. Down Down. And, and there's, uh, yeah, all their songs start off with this really simple riff. And then the when the drums kick in, but. Again, it's that, and then the bass is, is, is there when something the bass kicks in. And um, I can still listen to that now with the same, it's like as fresh as a daisy. Absolutely. I will never get bored of that song. And same with Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, first time I heard that, it blew my head off. I <laughs> couldn't believe how beautiful music could be. Nobody had, nobody had ever heard anything like that before. It was out there. It was really out there. I mean, I thought the Seven Seas of Rye was... I loved that song, but, um, and that's what I, I kind of, that got me into music first. Cause I just thought I loved, I loved intros really how they just, it's, it's been like still now. I mean, I like books that have great intros as well. Um, you know, uh, 
and and songs. Just that whole thing. Seven Seas of Rye had a brilliant intro. Yeah, that piano is crazy. Re- yeah, you know, and, and just just beautiful harmonies. And is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? I mean, what an opening line to a song as well. I mean, asking a question, you know, to start a song. I mean, you know, we get songwriting nowadays that doesn't particularly venture down any ways like that. No, nobody can make Bohemian Rhapsody on a laptop. It's just an impossible thing. Um, and if it was made on a laptop, how would it sound? It would probably, you know, it would definitely be kind of do 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 do, do recorded <laughs> click track yeah. to death. Yeah. It'll be all in it'll all in time. <laughs> Just in case you wanted to reprogram something. <laughs> Mind you, they did do it over five studios, so they did sort of <laughs> shop it. Well, around. yeah, and that's yeah, another thing because there was you know it's a band. It's recorded over five studios. It's recorded over time, probably when they were touring in between. So you come back with a different perspective. Freddie would probably take a rough mix home of this bit and then. Somebody would come up with another bit and, you know, all the suggestions. I mean, that's the whole thing about, because I've watched pop records being made because before I made pop records, I just heard them. So, you know, I was just one of the sort of like young people that then went in with the experienced people and the experienced people showed you how to do it. You know, like now I'm at that age where, well, I've been at that age for a long time, but, you know, <laughs> where I can show the youngsters what they can you know, this is possible actually, because you know you show them structure, and you know they they show you a new perspective on life, you know, and a new angle on things. You know, you show them, you know, the basics. Like I, if without Bob Sargent, meeting Bob Sargent, who was the beat producer, who was the first producer I met, and you know, the way he saw the soul, because Love Love Plus One was. I mean, Favourite Shirts was different. It was kind of similar. There wasn't much change. Uh, well, I say that much. Uh, it was, it's tightened up. But uh, Love Plus One particularly, because it didn't used to go... It just didn't do that. It was like, it felt like this beautiful line that went... You know, it was really nice sort of... Um, reflective kind of after it and uh, there was no like ding 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 it was more like talking heads it just like chugged in like chicka 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 ding 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 you know I went off to the right you know because I was a huge talking heads fan um, and that's the the beauty of the influ- influences because you know just because I was a Talking Hedge fan, if there would have been six Talking Hedge fans in the band, we would have sounded like an exact replica of Talking Heads. You know, and you see that with bands like uh, Fleet Foxes have got, you know, you can, you can hear a slight Beach Boys in there now. But, you know, at, at first, apparently, they were, they were just such Beach Boys fans. They sounded like the Beach Boys and Elliot Smith because they loved Elliot Smith too. So they just... That's what they sounded like. And then it was that moment of maturing and going, okay, well, we're not just going to be derivative of this. We've got to be our own band. So that's when the kind of voices and this, this, this sort of eerie chapel sound started to come in. And that's when they become, you know, that's when you set yourself adrift. 
from the harbour and everybody kind of goes, oh, look at that boat. That's I like that. That's an interesting one, you know. And uh, I, I felt like that's what needed to happen in music because it was such a busy harbour that, you know, I just thought, how, how are we going to get noticed? You know, well, not going to get noticed too much being called rugby. <laughs> yeah, you know, which is one of our names. So, you know, it was that moment where Heck on 100, that that stuck because that's a that's a great sale. That's um that looks that'll look great on a sale. Heck up one hundred. Okay, right, great. Yeah, it was pop art. It was just different. And it's got a number in it and it's a hundred, hundred percent, hundred percent commitment. Ooh, haircut. You know, because we're obsessed with our hair. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and getting it right and getting finding the right barber. I mean, that's what we that's all we did. It's like when you find the right barber, you know, you're just there. We couldn't find anybody to give us the the right hair uh, until we did, you know, in Olympia. So did the name Haircut 100 mean anything or was it just how it looked? Yeah, I was a, I was literally just a word fanatic um, and commercial artist. I was a commercial artist. They're working as a commercial artist. So words just meant type, you know, they meant advertising. They meant like draw, to draw you in, to catch your eye. Um, they didn't even have to necessarily mean something in the same way like... Uh, in Japan, when they just have English writing, that's what it is to them. So it could be, you know, I remember sort of seeing a, a radio and it said, go bonkers, go Jack in it. And you think, what does that mean? But it's just, you know, it's... Yeah, it's like Spandau Ballet. Just, <laughs> it's just... Yeah, no, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds brilliant. It means, you know, it must yeah. mean something to somebody, you know. Or tell somebody, yeah, it's, it's know. just wordplay, simple wordplay. Um, and and I, I'm not, you know, my education's... Uh, at uh, that particular point as well was just, you know, it wasn't, it was uh, I- immature. <laughs> so, you know, I just, so I made stuff up again. It was that, that stuff. So I had, I had, you know, had the mind to make stuff up that I couldn't really, I didn't know about. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, it's creating though, isn't it? There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. That's just, that's yeah. Cre- I, I liked Captain Pennyworth and Moving England. I thought they were good titles Yeah, for yeah, bands. they could have stuck. <laughs> they could have stuck. I mean, um, you know, we I think would have been more indie if it had been Captain Pennyway. <laughs> it reminded me of sort of an Elton John vibe, you know, the uh, Captain Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It reminded me of that sort of vibe of... Well, I slept outside uh, all night to get Elton John tickets for the uh, C- Captain Fantastic tour. And did you And did you see it? Was it good? It was brilliant, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Got tickets right at the front and uh, that's only because my mate Austin... Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, owner and user of Mint Mobile. And I am recording this message on my phone. I'm literally on my Mint phone. Why? Because fancy recording studios cost money. And if we spent money on things like that, we couldn't offer you screaming deals. Like if you sign up now for three months, you get three months free on every one of your plans, even unlimited. Visit mintmobile.com slash switch. Limited time, new customer offer. Activate within 45 days. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. Unlimited customers using more than 40 gigabytes per month will experience lower speeds. Video streams at 480p. See mintmobile.com for details. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free lifestyle to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. Is an Aries. And he, you know, everywhere you went with him, you always got in first. <laughs> and that was that, you know. We'd see, when, uh, you know, I'd never... I've been to the HTC loads of times, but never met them. 
And then I go with Austin. And next minute, we're sitting backstage with XTC talking to them because Austin, you know, he's just like, yeah, yeah, sure we can get in. You know, <laughs> songwriting wise, when you um, started, when you was writing things like My Favourite Shirt and Love Plus One and Fantastic Day, uh, they're sort of like love songs to a degree. Did you understand the meanings at the time? Like, was it, did you understand love? Did you have a girlfriend at the time or was it just writing from an outside perspective, looking in at what you thought it was? Uh, well, they, they were, they were quite teenage lyrics, you know, cause they were, they were written on the, on the go kind of thing, you know, like fairy shirts just came because they were words live. And then when it came to record it as a single, it's like they were the latest words that they had that had stuck in my head because I used to just sing and it wasn't kind of sitting down as a lyricist and writing, you know. That that kind of came later, really. I, I, Fantastic Day I kind of did because um, I had just had a chorus. It was just a chorus for ages. Just It was like a learning to play and sing at the same time. So I remember consciously going, sitting down with my girlfriend, Laura, and going, you know, I'm going to write a verse. Right, okay. So all the influences around at that particular time were just shared in this song. You know, there was a great amount of strain about getting on the train every day and every night was was what I was doing every every morning, getting up and going to work as a commercial artist uh, on, the, on the tube. So, you know, and the down at the tube station at midnight was playing, so... Probably wouldn't have written that lyric if but I wasn't a jam fan and probably if punk hadn't come out. So you're always just influenced by all the things that are just around you at the time. And, you know, then being such a massive XTC fan and Squeeze and just such brilliant pop songs everywhere. So when you're trying, when you're sitting down and writing stuff, it's just an influence of everything you've heard up until that moment and, be, and beyond, you know, you just, you're, you are making new stuff as well but it's just it filters through you know you take it in and then you then you filters out and you're writing you're like a prism and you're writing your own version of it it's almost like i think that's what it what it was as it comes in and like then something else comes comes out that's new but uh you just at that age you just want to be like the people you love mostly but but you can't emanate them completely so you do your version and that's the thing, a great thing about Vans and, and then album influences. I mean, the producer, Bob, was just, just as much a band member, really, as anyone, you know. We didn't have a marimba player, but he just, he played marimbas. And uh, I remember going, oh, that's that's good. That's good, Bob. I really like that. That's, um, you thinking of, like, keeping that? It was like, because it was just going, ding, 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 little, ding, ding. He said, oh, I'd, I'd just like to get in there on a, on a record, you know. I do it with a beat and it really annoys them, you know. But but it's like I do, he just likes playing marimbas on things. So he's on, he's, he's all over the beat playing marimbas. Yeah, but I mean, it just works, you know? doesn't it? It just works. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and that's the lovely thing about working with somebody who's older and more experienced and we just looked up to him and thought he was, yeah, he was our father at that particular time and guiding us into pop music and you know everybody's older than us at that particular point um and that's the way we look at it so we're just we're just learning and and um you know you don't you don't you're doing your best but you don't know really what's happening really you don't really know 
you know, and you're on, we were only 19. Well, you know, three of us were 19. You know, we had three more old, just slightly older guys in the band. They seemed to be a bit more uh, together. Yeah. So when you was recording yeah. Pelican West, was it an easy album to make? Was it difficult? Or was it simple? Really? Yeah, really easy. Yeah, the backing tracks were all done in like a couple of days, really. Uh, and that was uh, Les on bass, uh, Blair on drums, and myself and the songs that we knew, Graham played in there too. And then we just put them down. Like Surprise Me Again was put down because we knew it so well. So it was just a take of Surprise Me Again. Favourite shirts, same way. And then the songs that nobody knew yet, but they were straight out of my bedroom into... Well, I think, 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 think of this one. And they would just play on it anyway, whether it was good or not, or they liked it or not. It was just a matter of playing it. Like Snow Girl, I don't think anybody had heard. So that was kind of played in the in the, in the the studio. And uh, so that, yes. I mean, yeah. the most interesting one for me on that is uh, Lemon Fire Brigade. I, d- I just think that's really interesting because it starts as uh, a vocal and then just stops and just carries on with loads of music. I thought that's really an, an interesting approach to, you know, you think it's going to be a certain song and it just goes off. And, it, and it, I mean, how that's not been sampled to death yet as well because that percussion section in that is amazing. Really? For anyone that hasn't yeah. heard it, on, go on Spotify and hear it. It's amazing, especially people that sample music. I mean, you know. Oh, yeah. It's just lovely, isn't it? I mean, I we, we were so chuffed to have Mark in the band properly around that time as well because before then we just had him in the band because he was in another band as well because you know he was everybody wanted Mark in his band because he was a really good looking guy who played brilliant percussion and you try finding a percussionist at all in around London at that particular time and and, uh, yeah he looked like one of Spandau and uh, we were kind of South London scrags. We just thought, <laughs> oh, yes, this handsome man who could play Latin American Brazilian percussion, and he was so good. He was, and he could have been a session guy at the time and just played on everyone's records because he was a really good musician, really a percussionist. So to have him in the band was just such an asset. And you'd, I remember, you know, like walking in and hearing more percussion over the the stuff as it as it was the cake was being made you know you go in and like overnight you'd you'd hear a section I remember I remember hearing Lemon Fire Brigade when it was going to be in build because at first it was just we need more funk songs live so you know I'd just play a bit and then go okay put some funk in the middle there but you know just it was a song I was thinking oh and it why why Lemon Fire Brigade why why, you know, and I just thought, oh, that's a nice riff. So that was a bit like this kind of Johnny Marr thing where you're just putting some music together. But it's not really a song, but it's just, it just works live. You're playing it live. It's going down well. And when you're going, because that's a little guitar riff. And then it was nice when Phil uh, Smith picked it out on his soprano, which was to follow it, which gives it an instant kind of, joy at, about that riff and that song it's just suddenly and it then it looks like oh these guys can really play because we're playing together you know going you know and then having blair in the band meant we could actually go and it's like oh my god we could actually sound we could we could aspire to sound like earth wind and fire if we wanted which was 
you know, they were a big influence at that time. You know, I'd, I, I was working at a, as a commercial artist in this place called, uh, it's a Duck Lane somewhere in, just behind Wardle Street. And um, there's a guy there and he just played Earth, Wind & Fire non-stop every album. So I learned the whole thing because it was just every day. That's what it would play. So, you know, I the, those things, da, 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 all the brass lines were just swimming around my head we, during punk. You know, punk was kicking off. I'm going down to, to, to sniffing glue on the corner to sort of look through the fantasies and go and see Chelsea and the Cortinas, you know, you know, and all of this, and Ride to Work and The Eater and, you know, Generation X. And then just listening to Earth, Wind and Fire all day. Funny if my mum played them endlessly when I was growing up. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it was, it, it's, it's Earth, Wind and Fire, Michael McDonald's Yomo Be There album. They were the ones I remember oh, that wow. were just rotated constantly. And, uh, and that's how it gets kind of like recycled, doesn't yeah. it? This, I love them. This music. I love them now. Now I'm older. At the yeah. time you think, oh God, here we go again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then now yeah. I just, I mean, like on my own from the Michael McDonald album is amazing. It's an amazing song. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's magic, isn't it? You hear it and just go, it's like looking at a Turner painting or something. You just go, how on earth, what the skill that's gone into that. And, now you, and you think, Michael McDonald, what a singer to, developed and, and all the brilliant engineers and producers around that were working with them and players, all the players that were playing on all that stuff with top guys at the time. It's just um, a lot of those American sounding records, they had this sort of warm glow over them. I can't explain it. Like they, they feel like wearing a jacket. They kind of just, it's like yeah. Zoom by Fat Larry's Band is another song. I can tell you where I was when I first heard that. I was probably nine years old. I was sitting on, in my, me and my mum had a flat. I was sitting on the carpet. Uh, I'd just eaten Weetabix <laughs> and that came on the radio. And I remember it to this day, like, like watching a film. It's amazing. Like it's just, yeah, and you know that that warm glow is probably confidence, because that's the whole. It's in the culture over there, you know. It's it's confidence and it optimism. You know, they will find a parking space. You know, the pessimism you get here is just in the culture. <laughs> right. I, I still do. You know, oh no, it's full. You know, it's, no, it's not full. Yes, it is. You know, it's it's, and um, you you feel it with musicians as well. You know, you just have that. You have that here. That that. You can feel the difference between American musicians and free. not 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 everyone, of course, but just generally, you can generalize with that. It's it's kind of known that there's this just kind of confident spirit um, that they have. It's not an ability, same ability, both sides, but it's just different cultures. And when you when you get that that warm glow, as you hear, you hear Earth Wind and Fire, and you just go, it just swings. It's like hearing big band. American stuff it's just you know they, they play in different places that are just pure optimistic joy and confidence you know like yeah I'm just going to go for it so when um, you was obviously Pelican West come out was you touring a lot at the time and writing at the same time because I know it was quite stressful for you to do both wasn't it, it was was it, was it really draining you at the time uh, the, well I didn't know how to say no that I would not learned that one yet um, so just just said yes to everything and just never said no. So I just worked. So I'd go from the studio up all night, then go and do a, you know, to the TV, do a TV and then not sleep again. And there was no drugs involved. Uh, so it was just on the adrenaline. So, and I just didn't know how to, how to pace myself really. So, so that was it really. So getting, I mean, you, I was watching um, Normal People last night. You know that? fantastic 
show of, about the Irish couple going meeting at school. And I've seen that. Stuff. I think, yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's really, really good writing and really wonderful act, acting and everything. It's really authentic about it and simple, simple and authentic. And um, it's the same thing, though. You you can recover really quick when you're younger like that, but it does. It does. You think you've recovered, but like many young kids are finding out now with, you know, there's a lot of self-harm and there's kids needing more therapy and there's more stress around at a high level and people online and there's just as much, it was probably just as much around then. It's just different. You just didn't deal with it. You've now got therapists and and people, even in schools, you know, stuff will cover stuff like that. But, you know, I, I... I was one of those kids that was a bit sensitive to it, and so I just wasn't dealing with it too well. Um, but it didn't matter because I was so excited about everything at the same time. So you just go, "Oh, health! Who wants that?" You know, <laughs> yeah. Sleep when I'm dead. Sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. You know, no, I don't want to sleep. It's too exciting. You know, but it, it catches up on you. Was that one of the reasons that the band and you parted ways because of you know? Just the stress. Yeah, just not being able to communicate. And, and also, we, we had no management. So just imagine for a moment that Manchester United didn't have a manager or, or Chelsea or any, any team. Any, any team without management is, you know, and everybody in the band is managing it and their parents. If you guys had took a, you know, a couple of months off, do you think it would have worked? Or do you think it was, you'd outgrown each other and musically you were changing? Or uh, I, th- I think the manager or, you know, yeah, would have definitely sorted it out because I think a lot of people around the same time had the same thing happen, you know. Yeah, it was a lot, but just they would go through the same problems, but they may maybe just having management or surviving through that, being able to communicate more. Then you're down to the, the individuals um, because, you know, nobody wanted to work with Jeff Emmerich. They didn't want to sound, you know, I wanted us to sound better. I did. I I was quite competitive. I I heard it at ABC, and I just thought, you know, the other bands. And I thought they sound better than than us. So I don't want to just do the same thing. I want us to progress, and I think we sound a bit thin. It's good, but I want us to sound beefier because we did sound beefier live. Um, and you know, if you want to know what how a haircut one hundred would have sounded like, it was it's North America. You know, that's that's what I wanted it to sound like. You know, um, so it would have sounded like that. We would have sounded, which we went down the wind would have been our first, probably number one, you know, sounding, saying like that because Jeff was, you know, amazing. I mean, <laughs> it's amazing. Just, you know, <laughs> to, to get to, to Charles to work with him as well, I couldn't believe, but I was the only real Beatles fan at that particular time. Yeah. Yeah. For people that don't know, we should say he was a Beatles producer and a pioneer yeah. and an engineer and he could rip anything apart and change anything and make it sound incredible. And yeah, oh, he's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and he had just made, um, Imperial bedroom by Elvis Costello, which was the, the my album at that time. That I just thought, this is how it was to sound. This is it. This is it. <laughs> oh, no, that's good. I, I can talk for hours about that period. It's such a in, in lovely period of time, you know, and we're going to, we're releasing, we're releasing Pelican West. Uh, for the 40th anniversary. So I'm meeting up with Mark um, Fox uh, next week and and Ben from Demon and Daryl Eastley, who's a lovely man who is, I think it's I think it's him that's like behind, the driving force behind it really. 
you know, because he's such a, a fan of the the album. So, so I think it would definitely be a labour of love because it was a labour of love, as Mark said to me the other day, for everyone making it. Yeah, is there going to be like um, bonus tracks and demo versions on the release? Yeah, the, the some of the second the album that was recorded at the manor that that didn't get finished that'll be shared i mean i'd like to share as much as i possibly can um i've heard most of it uh and you know even even instrumentals it'd be nice to share just their work in progress um of the time they're not going to be finished because you know you can't go back to something that was started 40 years ago and sing over it you know i i mean i i've heard people do that and stuff it's it's all right so if um People want to catch you. Are you out touring at the moment or where's the best place to get some of your new albums? Just doing dates. You know, I just, uh, because of the COVID, I didn't know where the indoor dates were going to happen. So didn't plan any kind of like touring as such. But then then there's outdoor. I thought it was just all outdoor. So I got outdoor dates like Let's Rocks and things like that where it's nine, nine I've got a nine-piece band, full brass section, percussion. And we, we do, you know, I do... Old songs like Favorite Shirts and Atlantic Monday and uh yeah, really, really good good band. And then I'll just go out and do a kind of Crosby Stills Nash with three like three part harmony of, of the songs and stuff with, with Anthony and Adam from the band, which is which I enjoy. I did that at Gary Crowley's night the other night and just just love that. And it's just a bit like yeah, when you're doing that, you're just going, oh, this is this is interesting because I didn't start out like this. So to suddenly, you know, I've ne- I've actually still never listened to Crosby Stills. I mean, I've heard the odd thing, but I love the harmonies, of course. But um, just getting into that more, getting into harmonies and and stuff, and with the help of Anthony, who's he's got really, you know, he he likes to put sort of put harmonies together. and He's got perfect pitch and things, so that it's really helpful doing that. He'll know what what the harmony is immediately, like. You know, classically trained, so I'll go, ah, oh, da-da-da-da-da-da. You know, I came from that punk, yeah. make it up as you go. <laughs> along, so I go, oh, that sounds beautiful, but I have to know, I just, it's by a process of feeling, fumbling through the dark that I get there. I just I just feel it, you know, still to this day. And the trouble is with the feelers, you can feel your way, but you have to feel by mistakes as well. We have to learn that way, so it's just, but I don't mind, I don't mind that. Well, when you make a mistake, you can yeah. call it jazz, because there's no mistakes in jazz. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But even there, you'd have to know what to, not to, you know, it's jazz and then there's avant-garde, isn't it? It's a bit like, whoa! Well, I mean, what can I say, Nick? Thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been an absolute pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much. It's been lovely. Really nice chatting to you, man. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free lifestyle to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.